welcome to the Unabashed Gaming Podcast, where we talk about all things tabletop RPG. This week, Susan and I talk about the dreaded GM tactic known as railroading. We also discuss some of our methods for avoiding that pitfall, and again, finish off with more campaign pipe dreams. Enjoy. That's right. Uh, yeah. It's good. Yep, episode 24, we're talking about <laughs> railroading. <laughs> Oh man, railroading such a such a great tool in any GM's uh, toolbox, right, Susan? <laughs> Depends on what you what you mean by railroading. Yeah, I suppose you're right. <clears throat> well, once again, this is Unabashed Gaming. My name is David Chin. And I'm Susan Stewart. And if you haven't caught on yet, we're talking about that lovely situation that GMs put characters in when they tell them exactly what to do, when to do it, and where everything... They just dictate everything and to do. And who to do it with. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> or who to do. It uh, depends on the situation, I yeah, suppose. I guess it depends on the game, <laughs> the situation, all sorts of lovely things. But um, for those that don't know, I don't know why you're listening to this podcast, but railroading is a... Uh, don't exclude people, Dave. I know. Don't make them feel bad. Well, that's why I'm explaining railroading. Yeah, good. So okay. railroading is the practice of GMs who like to micromanage a goodly to almost every portion of their campaign. So um, they lead characters around by the nose, they force them to interact with certain NPCs, they don't allow sidetracking. Um, yeah, basically just plot to plot, right? Pretty much. And, uh, you know, they don't want you to get involved with anything else or... Well, that's an extreme version of railroading. That's true. Yeah. That's that's the actual, like, that's you're on one railroad. It's you're called on... railroading because you're on those railroad tracks, and that's where you're going. That's right. You can only go one way. You can't deviate. Yes. Uh, unless, you know, you, uh, unless you derail the train, which basically brings the campaign to a crashing halt. Explosions! Explosions. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I think I've only had one game where you guys actually took that literally. And we did actually explode a train, yes. blew up the Though train. I think I was dead before that happened. Yes, Scott killed you. Yeah, I totally did. Mm. <laughs> so yes. <laughs> Andy hint. <laughs> Don't get into hand-to-hand combat <clears throat> with Paladin. If you're a rogue. That's right. If you're... Help. Handy pointer. If you're DPS, don't go after the tank if you don't have someone else to distract them for you. Exactly. Or just don't have infighting on the side of the party unless it's funny. Oh, infighting's always funny. Mm, We were laughing a lot that game. That's true. Even though you all died, everyone kind of had their checks. I still still look back on that game fondly. Well, I do too, and that's because you guys were, what, like level one in 4th edition? I had literally made my character that afternoon. Yeah, that's right. So, um, (laughs) obviously we didn't have anything, you know, keeping us slowed down. We were, the train was at full speed, it caught on fire and exploded. Good times. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one way to stop a railroad. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. But yeah, um, essentially the uh, you know the reason why players tend to dislike railroading is that it takes away player agency. Um, so explain p- player agency, Dave. Well, player agency throwing around a lot of uh, a lot of key terms that yeah are kind of obscure. buzzwords. I know I, I might have made that up myself. I didn't make that up myself. You totally didn't, Dave. I'm no, sorry. I've read that in places. To me, so many places. Player agency is the uh, is the ability for, of players to think about what their characters are going to do and act on that mm-hmm. outside the bounds of what is pre written in the plot line. Mm-hmm. So, say. For an example, our uh, our Savage Worlds game mm-hmm. uh, on Saturday, um, <laughs> which is totally the opposite of railroading. Which is totally. <laughs> well, you see, the great thing that's about that is, it, is it's great. it sort of started railroady because that's kind of like that's sort of how you have to start campaigns. I would mm-hmm. think mm-hmm. you know you have to drive the characters together at least. Yes. So I began you guys in a very confined setting, getting your objective from a character. You didn't have an option not to go there since I started you there in the beginning. Yes, it was kind of in the middle of things but not danger things exactly so i gave um we were playing savage fallout and i was uh converting a mission from fallout 2 to give to my players Uh, essentially they had an objective to go to a certain military location and uh and basically find out if it was lootable 
Um, so the characters received the information. They received the quest, so to speak, from the uh, from the quest giver. Um, they stepped outside. They went into the main town area, and I believe Susan said, "Let's have brunch." Totally, that's exactly what I said. No, first, okay, first. That one of the super mutants needed to go get his minigun. Oh, that's right. And you said it would take a couple hours. Yeah. And I'm thinking, well, that'll be perfect. Then we can go get brunch while he's getting his minigun. Exactly. And the one thing (laughs) that I doubt any GM has ever prepared for in any game ever is the concept of brunch important Dave. Exactly. So I think that's a that's a great example of player agency coming in where, you know, character role playing sort of overtakes the uh, overtakes the concept of the overarching story. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily deviate from what is pre-written, but it's just sort of an addition to it. Um, if I was railroading you, I would have, you know, said, well, you know... It's Fallout and there's no brunch, Susan. Suck it up. (laughs) I could have said, hey, there's there's no restaurants in this city because um, anyone who's familiar with Fallout 2 in New Reno, there are no restaurants. There are whorehouses. There are no restaurants in New Reno, which Mm -hmm. is a sad thing. Um, So that's, you know, if I'd uh, I'd wanted to, or if I was a... uh, If I didn't know the setting as well as I had... I probably would have felt that um, that inclination to say, "Well, there's really no option for brunch. Mm-hmm. You can you can scrounge in your pack and you know sit in the middle of the road and eat something." Which and actually would have been perfectly acceptable for me. Yeah, <laughs> but that's fine. I, I enjoyed what happened. Indeed, some of my favorite role playing game moments of all time yeah. happened from that strange soiree into brunch. And that very strange soiree. It was lovely. <laughs> it was lovely. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, railroad oh, railroading right. prevents those types of situations. It does, but you might want to prevent those kinds of situations because we literally spent an hour and a half doing brunch. That's true, but it wasn't any sort of uh, it wasn't kind of, it wasn't a situation where it broke the game. That's true. Whereas um, you know a character. Um, there's a difference between looking for brunch and every time players enter a new city and they always look for the magic shop. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, there's um, you know, there's a difference between handing everything to your players on a silver platter and going with their various quirks that really only add to the role-playing. Yes. Um, unfortunately, if you're railroading, neither of those things happen. Um, you know, and you can take that however you prefer. But uh, essentially, that's kind, of, that's kind of what happens when a player or when a GM doesn't really have that much... Uh, knowledge about the setting, doesn't feel like improvising, and is really only working from a very narrow-minded point of view for their campaign. Um, is that a lot of those uh, a lot of those interesting side stories and opportunities for players to roleplay uh, don't really have that option to come through. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it's not always a bad idea to to railroad. Um, there are there are a few settings that I can think of. One in particular where railroading is actually. Um, it's kind of a nice uh, tool to be able to use. Uh, specifically, I remember uh, our game with Robert, his uh, his Call of Cthulhu. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, while we were there, we had a um, it was uh, students and counselors and a you know a camper on a lake, and we were we were you know we were bounded by the strictures of the itinerary and by the strictures of time, mm-hmm. and then eventually by the strictures of what were happening during the uh, you know the supernatural events that were sort of driving us in a certain location. Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking about that today, that today, and I realized, well, that's that's actually kind of a good argument for railroading because it allows the GM to sort of pace what he's putting out in front of players. Mm-hmm. Um, I think with horror games, especially, there does need to be a certain amount of railroading involved. Definitely. But you have to do it strategically so that your players don't feel like they're being railroaded. Um, and it was interesting in his pacing, the way he did that game. He did that game wonderfully. Mm. That we did have times where we were just, you know, hanging around talking to each other, yeah. where there was no necessarily plot going on, it was just character development, and uh, we were just confined by the strictures of camp rules, basically. Definitely. Um, but that did have a time flow, and so then things 
you know, shit hit the fan when it started to get dark. Right. And that's when you kind of all aboard the railroad, mm. but in a good way. Yeah, definitely. Because, uh, because that's when, um, that's when it started to get scary. Mm. And, uh, and so we needed the railroad if we were all just chatting and yeah, I mean. shooting the breeze and camp the whole night, we never would have gotten to anything interesting at all. Definitely. So yeah, that's kind of a uh, that's kind of a good way of, of managing the uh, the railroad if you're planning on using it is you know to have them on one track but sort of allow the pit stops. I yeah. guess what would yeah. be uh, considered. It's good for your your pacing. Yeah. You know, you can't all be intense all the time. Right. Um, you need some little breaks in there. Mm-hmm. Some levity. Definitely a little time for. Uh, well, you know, if you if you consistently have you know a bombardment of you know of things that are happening that are either scary or plot driven, you don't really give players a chance to really get into their characters' skins. Mm-hmm. But you know, when you have those little those little side or like those little sides, those little character building moments, you not only are you allowing you know players to sort of goof off and you know blow off a little bit of steam by you know talking amongst themselves, you're really allowing them to kind of integrate what you've already done in your in like your campaign or in your session and you know they're they're processing that through their characters role playing and that kind of sets them that lets them sort of set themselves up for your next stinger mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yeah I would say I would say horror games are uh, one of the acceptable areas that you would uh, probably railroad a bit more I think so and I think it's necessary but you have to do it you have to do it strategically or else it's just like, all right, now you guys are at the house. All right. Now you guys, there's a ghost coming out. Oh, you right. know? Yeah. You know, we still had that feel like we were exploring the house. We could go into any room we want. We split up. We mm-hmm. came back together. Um, yeah. But we did end up there. <coughs> Excuse yeah. me. Oh, no worries. Yeah, there was also that really great... Uh, that really great setting where, you know, we were being driven forward by time with, you know, the sunset and with the sun, you know, setting, then with the weather patterns moving us. Mm-hmm. And then when we got into the house, everything, like, if you remember, time kind of stopped. Yeah, exactly. So that really gave us that chance to, you know, really explore the interior of the house, you know, avoid what, you know, was creepy as hell uh, about what, what we experienced already. And <laughs> that game was my first realization that it's not horrible to have a bad spot hidden roll. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Check on your Call of Cthulhu character. Oh, man. So many oh. people had bad stuff. Whew. Yeah, I did get mm. to the point where my character just didn't look at stuff. Yeah. Which is a which is definitely a viable option. And it's kind of a... It's kind of a... a well, I wouldn't, I'm not sure if a realistic setting it, or realistic sense is... Uh, is what that brings to mind. But, you know, there are, is that character, you know, in, in certain popular media where, you know, they refuse to accept or look at the really horrible things that are happening. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's definitely interesting to see that come come through because of the mechanics of a role-playing game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, so, as a player, you know, what don't people like about being railroaded? We talked a little bit about that. It takes away your player agency. Yeah, I, well, the, uh, the most essential thing I would say is that people just don't like hearing the word no. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if you, uh, you, you go someplace that uh, you've never been before and you want to, uh, you're interested in, in searching for something that either you or your character are interested in, in, you know, discovering about this new location... And, you know, you, you get your excitement up. You say, hey, um, maybe you're in a fantasy setting, and you decide, well, you know, I'd like to see if there's, like, a wizarding college here, or, you know, I'd like to see if there's a thieves' guild in this town. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, you're, you're kind of... It sort of feels like you're offering your own, um, your own sort of input into where the story should go, mm-hmm. even in, you know, maybe, like, a minor sense. And it's, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of like you're sharing with other people, and it's so it's... Not only is it like really kind of aggravating just to hear saying hear someone just flat out say, "Well, no, there's nothing like that here," or, you know, "No, uh, that's not in this module, so it doesn't exist." Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of disheartening because you know you thought of this, so why couldn't you know like the GM kind of run with it even just a tiny bit? Yeah, well, that's kind of a it's getting to be kind of a cliche piece of GMing advice that you should always try to say yes yeah. to your players now. 
some playing groups that can be aggravating grossly abused Mm -hmm. and so you know you have to if you're gonna say no you have to have something interesting that's behind that no because you will have to say no sometimes um you know no this town does not have a magic item shop yeah a lot of towns don't have (laughs) if it's if the town is run down and it's like six shacks and maybe like a half burned out in no yeah no then that's a that's a great example of why there's a good reason that no is there Mm. there's some narrative idea behind it and it gets your players more involved with that little town yeah than if you just said oh yeah sure Mm -hmm. there's a magic item shop there's an armor there's whatever the heck you want they don't get a good idea about that town definitely so it's okay to say no Mm -hmm. just not flat out in a pointless way you right. know you need to add something to that story with that no exactly it's you know role playing is essentially a conversation game so you know you can't shut someone down just with a flat you know negative response you really right. kind of have to you you can be negative but you have to be negative in a way that you know drives the conversation forward yeah and gives them ideas for how they can be um, how they can get positive responses for you. Right. When I'm being railroaded as a player, I don't mind it if it's, you know, involving plot and keeping the flow going and making it a really interesting, exciting game. I do mind it when I have no idea what the hell I'm supposed to be doing. Yes. And I'm just running into all of these invisible walls, and I'm like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do! And so you're just spending, like, an hour running up against dead ends yeah. and you can't find a way to go that's when I get so frustrated with railroady people yeah being brick walled like that is really difficult because yeah railroading does kind of put uh, put a GM in the mindset that there's really only one solution to this problem that there's really only one approach yeah. for this situation and that's you know that's not true at any point in time yeah. like if, you, if you're in Call of Cthulhu you fail a crucial spot hidden what is your GM going to do? They need to have some other way to have something interesting happen. You might lose that clue, and you might lose that whole plot thread. Yep. That's fine. But you need to have something else to be able to do. Right. You can't You know, You know. can't just have a plot grind to a halt just because someone failed one role. Yeah, or just because someone can't get the idea of doing something. Uh, you know, when you just can't figure out what you're supposed to do. Exactly. There's a point as a GM where you need to, you know, let them follow whatever idea they have. And if it's a dead end, well, that's fine. But they can find something interesting along the way. Yeah. Or have some character development along the way. Maybe. Or something. Until either they get the idea or something happens where that idea uh, is negligible. Yeah. Absolutely. Negligible isn't the right word. Is a moot. I moot. think is more yeah. accurate. Moot is I was a thinking. Better way of putting it. Um, but yeah. So, um, what are some uh, what are some tools you can use to uh, to cut down on railroading? I think the biggest thing for me mm. is when I have a game going or I'm starting a game, mm. I make up my major player NPCs, mm-hmm. and they all have motivations. Mm. They all have things they're trying to get done. Yep. And so <clears throat> it doesn't really matter to me how the characters in- interact with that NPC's motivation. Mm-hmm. They can try to stop it. Mm-hmm. They can help. They can ignore it completely. But no matter what, something's going to happen. Yeah. And so their player agency in this case is how they're interacting with that motivation. Mm. And other NPCs' motivations can help them find out things, can help influence how they feel about them. But uh, I care more about my NPCs' motivations than making a story Mm. for my game. So, like, when we were talking about my dragon pipe dream last time, Mm -hmm. I said that I've had games, and people just don't follow my dragon quest lines. Yeah. And they don't. And, you know, they still happen, but without any NPC or any player character involvement. Yeah. And so I have other NPCs with their motivations that the people got involved with. Or I made some, Mm -hmm. so they had stuff to do. Yeah. 
that was other things going on in the world. So not only do they not feel railroaded, they feel like they can do stuff. There's also plot going on. Things are exciting. They get surprised. Um, and it keeps me interested, too. Mm. Sometimes I make up NPCs on the fly. I make up their name off of my name list, or I call them Bobbert. Mm. One of the two. And, uh, and all of a sudden, they become, like, the main evil villain in a game. You know? There's... I hadn't even planned it that way. There's a lot of Bobberts in your Iron Kingdoms gang. I'm wondering which one of those is the main evil character. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, really? Mm. But yeah, that's, uh, that's a good way of approaching the problem. Having, yeah. Um, yeah, having your own plotline moving forward regardless of what the players are doing. Yeah, that... I'm not, not really overly invested in a story per se. I just have basically my own characters and they do stuff yeah nice um it's definitely a good way of doing things i uh, i think i don't focus as much on the npc uh uh motivations as you do i think i just try to i try to not focus so much on the main plot of what i'm writing so much as learning as much of the setting as possible i think that's definitely true for you dave you really have a lot invested in your setting yeah and you just let people explore it yeah so that um that really allows you to um to really cope with the the super unexpected things or you know the uh, definitely the ramifications of specific actions on a on like a societal level or you know a uh, you know Whenever a player does something that would be that would affect you know people on a, uh, a larger scale, you can really kind of get a, an appropriate response with that, rather than you know focusing on the uh, on the solo plot line and you know having to figure out on the fly. Well, you know, well you guys are supposed to be uh, you're supposed to be you know uh, getting captured by uh, the guards here, and uh, and they want you to do something for them. And yeah, that's that's all I really know about what the guards do here. Um, <laughs> is that they is that they capture adventurers and force them to go on quests for them. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so having uh, having just like a little bit more knowledge about you know maybe not even the hierarchy, but just you know how things work in the town around you know the you know law and order or you know just the the economic levels. It really um, and this isn't like a this isn't an extensive amount of research you have to do. You just kind of have to decide. You know, when you when you figure out where like a setting for your players to play, it's just kind of what's the flavor of what's going on there. Maybe a few specifics, and those kind of um, even those little specifics that are uh, you know not necessarily related to your plot, but just to the setting in general, can really inform towards what the rest of the uh, of the world has to offer. Mm-hmm. So that way, you can really um, you can really figure out what to do if someone does something ex- especially um, unprecedented or unexpected. Yeah. Because then, you know, it would be easy enough for your your NPCs to be like, well, we need something to do. Where can we find a job? And you can be like, oh, well, you could go to the town guard, or you could go to the inn, or you could, yeah. you know, go all these places. You, or- could, you could go to this bulletin board where people post requests. <laughs> I had a fun idea mm. for a game that involved, a, like, a job board mm. for you know, and for adventuring games. And uh, you have all the, like, several different jobs available. Mm-hmm. And the players are going to pick one. Yeah. But then you can make up other adventuring groups that go on the other ones. And this goes back into me loving to make NPCs. Mm. But um, other groups are going to take those other jobs. They're not still going to be there when the adventurers get back, probably. Oh, yeah. Except for the really crappy ones. Or the really tough ones. The really tough ones. Then there'll be dead people when you get to the final spot there. Yeah, and so you can hear, you know, your players can hear about those NPCs and what they did and be like, God damn it, we should have come after that Minotaur. Yeah, we've gotten all that money. Right? Look at them living all nice in, like, the most expensive rooms in the inn while we just got our butts kicked by a bunch of goblins. Yeah. I think that adds some fun to it. Um, mm. It gets players involved in the world. Yeah, it really gets them feeling like they're not the only ones active. Mm-hmm. I think because I think that's uh, that's an important aspect that a lot of uh, that a lot of games don't really seem to focus on is that like you're kind of in a world of adventure, and there are other adventurers who are you know 
as much trying to be in the spotlight as you are. Yeah, yeah. I've always liked the idea of, like, rival adventuring groups or other adventuring groups, Mm. uh, you know, that your characters are going to come across at some point. Maybe they're friends. Maybe they're mortal enemies. Maybe they're frenemies. Frenemies. Yeah. Or friends with benefits. You know, whatever. Yeah, Yeah, maybe they have that, like, (laughs) love-hate relationship where, you know, they sometimes fall into bed together. Yeah, you know. Who knows? Adventurers have needs. Yeah, exactly. And so (laughs) do NPCs. NPCs have feelings, too. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Yeah, that reminds me of the, um... Or at least just talking about, uh... In a fantasy setting, the, uh... The concept of railroading reminds me of that uh, article that David Larkins linked us to. Um, I didn't actually get a chance to read that, but it, it mainly in summation talks about the uh, the back or not the back uh, the plot hooks for um, the new D and D module, um, mm-hmm. Tyranny of Dragons. I think mm-hmm. um, it talks about how it's kind of a really great idea for getting your players invested into a pre-generated campaign because that way, you know, they don't have to know an extensive amount about the world to uh, to try to figure out a, you know, a backstory for their character to give them incentive to play the game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can have little things that just drive them towards the first area in the plot, um, which a lot of modules tend to do these days. Um, I know they were doing it back in 4th edition where um, it was a lot simpler saying, hey, this guy wants to pay you to come to this town. Yeah, and- they give you a few options. Yeah. I do like it. Uh, and I think the only complaint that they really had about this one was that there were a few plot hooks that were just, like, way too... Um, I, I want to say overpowered. Because mm-hmm. one of them is like, well, in your in your past life you were a golden dragon and you were banished to Earth by, t- by you know, I forget his name, Bahamut? Bahamut? No, I don't. I can't remember. Um, Bahamut or Bahamut sounds right. Yeah, or Tiamat. Those are the two like big dragon been, gods. Yeah, the good Bahamut one. Bahamut is so the good Bahamut, one. Yeah. Yeah. So um, every time I say that, I just think about Final Fantasy. I'm like, I know. Think about Final Fantasy VII and the three Bahamuts you get summoned. I know. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's Bahamut. Yeah. Um, but yeah, apparently one of them is that you were like, you're a golden dragon, and you got banished to the mortal plane, and now you're stuck in this body, and you can kind of remember being a golden dragon, but kind of can't at the same time. So that kind of... I'll be that character. I'm just going to be obsessed with getting back to being a dragon. I know. <laughs> but the trick is for like new players, like... You know, that's kind of what those hooks are for, sort of. They're for players who, you know, don't really want to come up with their own, or they're sort of new to the hobby. But, like, you know, you're, you're giving them even more buzzwords that they're going to have to, like, look up and figure out what they mean. That's true. They're, they're a little too too much. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, in, in terms of railroading, like, um, you can kind of see where that would, you know, create a problem with the, with the player, where, you know, not only are they, um, not only are they, like, new to the hobby, perhaps... And not only are they, you know, about to play in a, you know, pre-written campaign where there's going to be a lot of railroading, but mm. now they're kind of like there, and they sort of know why they're there, but they also really don't. And that's that kind of seems like it would be really, you know, frustrating or even infuriating for a player to know that, hey, yeah, I've got this plot hook, and the GM expects me to roleplay this plot hook. I have no idea who Bahamut is. Right? <laughs> like, oh. my experience with Bahamut is... A summon in Final Fantasy. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I could see the issue there where, um, I mean, you, you do have some of those problems where you, you might give too specific of information for players to uh, to try to figure out where they fit in the world without, um, you know, without having to make them, you know, do a bunch of research on, you know, the setting or the plot, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But, um I mean, also, a lot of those were probably really cool. Like, you know, you know, simpler, you know, generic uh, plot hooks where, you know, you want to go here because, hey, you want to set up a shop. Or, uh, you know, things that people can immediately respond to and identify. Mm-hmm. In my, uh, in the GURPS fantasy game I played, we were all given, I guess, hooks to the main town. Mm-hmm. And we had a job there that was not adventuring. Yeah. And so a lot of our... Like motivations were revolving around our job in the town. So, mm-hmm. like, my dwarf owned a general store yeah. in town, and uh, so I'd go adventuring for cool items, money, glory to bring people into my shop. Oh yeah. <clears throat> so, uh, 
Yes. Who'd come to the shop of Dari. Ah. She's amazing. Oh, man, I want to go to that shop now. Yeah, because she, yeah, she ended up with some rhino armor. Ooh. Rhino hide armor. She but. saved a town from a raging rhinoceros. Along with all of her friends, of course. Oh, of course. You want to save everyone, so that involves your friends and everyone you know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But, like, someone was a member of the military and... Mm. You know, some other things. I don't remember everybody. We had quite a few people at that point. But, um, yeah. you know, those are good, simple ways to get you involved in the plot. Yeah, definitely. And not really too, you know, restrictive in, in terms of player role-playing. Yeah. I mean, you can get behind owning a shop. Yeah, absolutely. You don't need to know a whole lot about it. Yeah. I spent a lot of time sweeping, I remember. Well, you know, it's, <laughs> you, you always have to make work. You have to keep a tidy shop. You yeah, know? yeah. You know, the worst shops the ones where, you know, the, the shopkeep is just dozing behind the counter when you walk in. Yeah. Because then you just steal the shit. Exactly. Yeah. Nobody steals from Dari. That's right. Yeah. Someone who, <laughs> uh, someone who takes out a giant rhino monster, you don't want to mess with them. That's, that's like, worse than messing with the shopkeeper in Link's Awakening on the Game Boy. Yeah. 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 So, it's interesting that railroading has kind of become this... Um, this is buzzword, but also a dirty word. Yeah. And on the other side of it is metagaming. Mm. So metagaming for players, railroading for GMs. The other sides hate it. They hate it. They're oh. supposed to be very against it. So much. Now, I've heard it postulated that they, neither of these words actually exist. And it's just our own begrudging of the other person. That is making this a big thing. Hmm. Now, having been in a couple games where I've been railroaded to the point of really chafing against it. Mm. And it really, for me, is the point, like, when I know I'm on the railroad tracks, but I can't figure out how to get going forward. Yeah. Or I've stopped and I can't get started again. But there's no way off. There's no way forward and I have no idea what to do. Basically, the role-playing game has become an old-school, like, adventure game where you have to, you know, fit the gear to the sprocket. Right, right. Yeah. Right. Um, You know, so I don't think it's as huge a problem as everybody says it is or thinks it is Mm. in the internet hype. But at the same time, it is there. Yeah. Uh, David Larkins sent us a link to an actual play that he actually stopped listening to. I actually didn't listen to You that. did? I am I, in the middle of the second session. And? And I can see some points. Like, it's not as bad as I expected. And it mm. may be because I haven't gotten to the third episode where Larkin stopped. Okay. But, like, there is a certain irritating quality to it. Because the DM talks a lot. Ah. The keeper, I should say, since it's Call of Cthulhu. Right. He talks a lot. And he's dictating a lot of it. Um... And he just kind of sets up the situations. Okay, now you guys are doing this. Okay, now you guys are doing this. Okay, here's what you guys know now. Huh. And that got a little irritating. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and this is a well-respected GM, apparently. Hmm. Um, so I can see where, where he was coming from, having to stop listening to that. Right. More for me, it's the horrible audio quality. Oh, really? Because it's a Skype game or Google Hangouts or something. Mm, I can't get and through those. Also, they're kind of assholes. <laughs> the players or the characters? No, the, the players and the GM. Like, they all... Especially the GM. He has that kind of, like, asshole quality. And I wonder if that's what we sound like when we're playing games. I wonder, too. I'm like, am I that much of a dick? Oh, man. I don't know. Like, he, had, he just kind of has that attitude. Like, everybody's inconveniencing him by being there. Weird. So, hmm. those are my problems with that one. Well, in any case, I'll, but, uh, I'll link our Savage Worlds game in the... Uh, oh, or at least I'll have David Larkin's link our Savage Worlds game in the uh, in the blog post. Oh, it was glorious. It's the complete opposite, opposite of being railroaded. Yeah. You guys can listen to us and tell us if we sound like assholes. <laughs> <laughs> best game to determine that, but we'll see. Well, at least we're not playing Apocalypse World. It's That's true. <laughs> it's a new mm. game, so we're mostly asking questions. Yes. Oh. Yeah, so... Mm. Uh, 
Yeah. Any other uh, thoughts on railroading? Uh, I had one, and now I've lost it. Mm. Oh, yes, here it is. I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget. Hey. I'm genius. How useful. Um, so I have this kind of aversion to running pre-written scenarios. Mm. And, and campaign settings, which Likewise. is hilarious because I'm running Iron Kingdoms and it comes with a whole campaign setting. Yeah, but you're not a... Uh, I mean, you're, you're using the campaign setting, but you're also doing your own stuff. Yeah, I'm not terribly involved in it and I have changed several things. Yeah. Um, but I guess because I have this horrible fear of just railroading mm. and not knowing what to do when the characters go off the railroads. Yeah. Railroad tracks, I should say. Uh... And so I have trouble running pre-gen scenarios because there's only the information given there. Mm. And I just have this mental block, and I know I can, but I have a mental block that, like, I'm not allowed to sully this great work that yeah. someone created. Right, you can't implement your own voice. And, like, <laughs> right, yes. Like, this is, this is complete. This is in its entirety, and yes. nothing else exists around this. Yes. Um... And you really have to do that to make sure your pre-gen um, scenarios and campaign settings don't feel railroady. You yeah. have to be okay with just making some shit up. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's the trouble with the pre-gen stuff. I haven't quite gotten over it yet. I'm going to be running a pre-gen scenario for Call of Cthulhu tomorrow night. And you ran one for us before. I did. I think the only... Um it's funny. I think the only or the only game setting where I can actually run something pre-gen is Call of Cthulhu. Interesting. Yeah, because I've I've tried with other settings, like you know I failed. We crashed and burned with with Pathfinder. That was hilarious, though. My bard survived. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> oh. I enjoyed that immensely. Yeah. Um, I know, and I've uh, I've never actually successfully run anything pre-gen that wasn't Call of Cthulhu, like mm-hmm. to its expected conclusion. You know, it's interesting, Dave. With when you have run pre-gen stuff with Call of Cthulhu, I do I can't really tell the difference between it and stuff you make up in Call of Cthulhu. Mm. So kudos to you. Well, thank you. You're doing it well. Well, to be fair, I think a few of the things I've actually stolen from other Call of Cthulhu pre-gens and then just modded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. but yeah. I really, uh, it, it's really fun to, to make up Call of Cthulhu games because, you know, if you need to fall back on something, it's everyone goes bad and dies. Yeah, mm hmm. So, uh, I think part of the fun of this scenario I'm going to be running, and I'm going to be running mm. The Fall Without End from Caleb Stokes' No Security set of um, horror set, horror horror scenarios in the Great Depression, which are wonderful. They're systemless, but um, lend themselves to Cthulhu very well, games like that. Seriously. Um, Both of my pre-gen Call of Cthulhu scenarios have come from that book. Yep. Because I kickstarted it, and it's amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, And part of it's because he does like what we talked about at the beginning to avoid railroading is that he tells you about the area mm-hmm. that they're going to be involved in. Yep. And he does a really good job of making it in a very small contained area. Yeah. Like the one we played before was in this like farm and a shanty town near the farm. Yep. And this one's going to be on a mountain. Um, so you don't have this huge sandbox that you're trying to run around in in a pre-gen scenario. But anyway, so it gives you all the information about your location that you need to know. Mm-hmm. And he also gives you all the information about your characters that you need to know, your NPCs that you need to know. Mm. So you have all the tools that you need to not railroad them. Right. Um, at least as far as we're concerned. Definitely. Uh, and so that's why I think I enjoy running his uh, his scenarios so much. He's yeah. very thorough. Way cool. So yes, support stuff made by Caleb Stokes. All right. He's a front. His gaming company is Hebanon Games, I believe. He's also affiliated with Role Playing Public Radio. Recently, his pub has uh, written a, a whole campaign for Better Angels, which is in the One Roll Engine, like monsters and other childish things, mm-hmm. and um, 
something else. Several other things. They make some good games. Wild Talents, that's what I was thinking, which is a superhero game. So interestingly enough, uh, Better Angels is another superhero game, but you have superpowers because you're possessed by a demon. Awesome. So anyway, so he made this whole scenario that's, or campaign uh, set in a school, mm. and it's great. Nice. I think it's actually coming out through the One Roll Engine people. I can't remember what they're called right now, but... I'll remember at some point. Hmm. Um, so yeah, anyway, support him. He's awesome. Alright, seal of approval. Bam. Done. Alright. Yes. Sweet. Well, I think that might cover our uh, our discussion on railroading. Do you have any campaign pipe dreams? I've always got campaign pipe dreams, Dave. Hmm. Did you bring one for this time? I um, I originally just wanted to talk about how stoked I am about that I'm running Savage Fallout because <laughs> I absolutely love Fallout. I've been playing it um, in its world for um, the better part of 13 years. Ever since I was in 7th grade, I've been playing Fallout. Wow. So, That's a long time, man. Yeah. I think it's reaching at least close to halfway, you know, half of the amount of time that I've been alive that I've been playing Fallout, which is good. super exciting. So I'm very glad to be running that. Um, but actually, when you were talking about your uh, your fantasy game where you ran a shop, yes. I um, remembered that I was also considering uh, trying to figure out some way to create a fantasy setting where players were uh, uh, similar to the Pendragon setting, where uh, where players have like their own manners and they build them up. And you know, you you eventually create like this location that is more towards you than like your character is. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking of figuring out some way to do that because I've always kind of liked the idea of you know incorporating some you know SimCity aspects to uh, to role playing games because I love um, I love like city building. I love you know random dice rolling. I love table generations. So like all the uh, all the oh, loveliness yeah. of character generation, yeah. <laughs> That's like every year in Pendragon is like a little mini character creation, mm-hmm. and that just makes me so happy. So <laughs> yeah, at least one point in like the last month and a half, I was thinking of figuring out some way to create like a fantasy setting or just like a role playing setting other than you know Pendragon, where like players were you know investing in shops or starting their own shops or like creating adventuring companies or banks, you know mm-hmm. that sort of situation. Where they're, uh, you know, they have like this center, uh, they have like this centralized location, maybe for all of them, maybe just for like each individual character spread out. And I thought that would be pretty, uh, at least that's, that's like, that's something that draws me in that concept of, you know, not only character ownership, but like, you know, in game ownership. Interesting. Yeah. Um, Ross Payton of Role Playing Public Radio. I listen to them a lot, they're fun. Yeah. But um, they did a campaign. But I think he started out with that idea um, that they did in Iron Heroes. I don't know if you know that camp- that uh, system at all. I don't. It seems like it's... I think it's an older system. Um, but it reminded me a lot of 4th edition. Mm. But more distilled, I guess. Okay. Uh, but for me, it had that same feel. But... Um, he he made it so that the main characters were all fall, uh, following this army, mm-hmm. like a huge army, mm. being the merchants that were following the army. And so they, a big part of their game was dealing with like what they were using as their stock, like what they traded in, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, how they were going to make more money, and how they were going to keep going, and yeah. things like that. And so depending on where they traveled to provided uh, different challenges and of course they also went off on these little side quests and yeah. did fun adventuring fantasy stuff but their kind of economy was also a big part of it mm, definitely you might also be interested in checking out their uh, game designers workshop hmm Caleb is working on his own uh, role-playing system called Red Markets Hmm. that heavily involves economics and role-playing games. Interesting. Yes. I don't know much about it, but you might be interested, Dave. Perhaps. Might be right up your alley. It might just be. 
Yeah. How about you? What about AI? All right, I'm going to throw out the one I was almost going to say last time. Ooh. Um, so if anybody beats me to the punch, that's fine. I'll maybe run it eventually. I wanted to run some sort of time travel horror campaign. Hmm. So, uh, uh, time travel is a tricky thing to do in role-playing, I think. Definitely. Um, and I think the key to it, as far as I've been thinking about it, is to not let the players actually be in control of it. Because mm. that's just trouble. Definitely. Because then they'll want to just keep going back and trying to fix things. Yeah. So, instead of dealing with the complication... And it gets really complex really fast, guys. Yeah. Of the consequences of their trying to change everything all the time. Mm-hmm. They just don't have any control over it. And so that's where I got the kind of horror tie-in to the time travel. Mm. Is that they could really mess stuff up accidentally and live with that horror of crap when is it going to happen again it could happen now oh my god i don't want to touch anything because i might ruin the world right you know things like that so you can kind of so you as the gm can control it a little bit and control consequences a little bit more and make it kind of horrifying for your players Mm. I think that would be really fun. Definitely. Uh, and I was thinking of doing it in World of Darkness, actually. Hmm. Because I think uh, I think that would lend itself really well to that feeling of, uh, of not being in control. Yeah. I like that for, uh, for World of Darkness. It's good at that helplessness feeling. Yeah, it really is. Uh, maybe even more so than Call of Cthulhu, but... It's a close call. Yeah. Well, they uh, they take control away from players in like different ways. Like in uh, yeah, in World of Darkness, everything is like everything is really ineffable. Like you can't really figure it out very much. Mm-hmm. But like there's there isn't the uh, there isn't the taking player control or like character control away like you have in the Call of Cthulhu system with sanity rules. Yeah. So I mean, at least in Call of Cthulhu, players kind of have an out. If they want to, you know, sort of, you know, tap out of the uh, of the setting is like, hey, I'm just going to stop investigating this because, you know, that's what's like making me crazy. Right. But in World of Darkness, it's like, well, it's there and it's always going to be there regardless if you look away or not. Right. So, you know, you might as well just see this through to the end because otherwise it's going to be really bad. Yeah. Um, and I like that for World of Darkness. It always feels really... Uh... Uh, it always feels really hopeless and yeah. filled with despair is, uh, right. when we've played it, and I like that a lot. Yeah, but you still have that drive to keep moving forward. You never have yes. that. You never have that like either mechanic or you know personal inkling just to stop. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think with Call of Cthulhu, um, you get separated from that helplessness feeling because you know maybe you are trying to go insane or maybe you are trying to die, and you have that idea that like I'm not going to make this through to make it through this because it's Call of Cthulhu. Right. So what the hell ever. Whereas with World of Darkness, um, there is a chance you're going to make it through. Yeah. There's a chance that something weird is going to happen to you. There's a chance that something horrible is going to happen to you. Mm. Um, yeah, and like you do want to make it through because making it through means you've solved the problem. Yeah. Yeah. yeah to does- some extent, anyway. Yeah. It doesn't seem like, yeah, like, it doesn't seem like, uh, like, World of Darkness has those, like, heroic sacrifices that, you know, that are so prevalent in, like, Call of Cthulhu. Definitely. Where, you know, like, and I think yeah. it's because they don't, I mean, they don't really give you much in the way of, of combat yeah. uh, stats. No, not very much. You know, even in Call of Cthulhu, you're like, yeah, I am taking a 85 and shotgun. Right eat it, Cthulhu, or, you know, yes, I'm taking all of the dynamite ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just feel like that's not, a, like, even an option in World of Darkness. And maybe that's our own... Uh, yeah, kind of our own take on our it. Our own take on it and what we bring into the setting, but that's, you know, that's our group and that's good. Yeah. like it. I do, too. It it definitely creates that differentiation between the two systems, which is good. Yeah, so, you know, kind of that feeling of, um, you know, what if I were involved in this? Um, 
what if I were involved in time travel and it happened? I just couldn't control it. Like, you were, um, you know, like, you're traveling with Doctor Who, but you don't have Doctor Who. Right. Just randomly popping up places and shit happens. Mm. I mean, yeah. One, a few more, like, the games happening to the players than the other way around. Yeah. If that makes sense. No, definitely. Though they definitely, like, can get involved with it and maybe even have it be, like, a mystery. Mm -hmm. Where they can kind of solve it, make it so uh, they can have some control or some idea of what's happening and when it's going to happen so they can at least prepare for it or you know they can you know they'll have stuff to be doing and stuff to solve definitely but uh they won't just be unleashing themselves upon the world like they so often are in fantasy games and yeah absolutely whatnot so yeah that's 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 a good concept that's my uh my next pipe dream that I would really like to see happen. Nice. But we'll see. It's going to take a lot of research because time travel is complicated. Yeah, it's it's really a... Yeah. There's it's a, a can system, of worms. There's a system for it. I can't remember what it's called. I'm talking a lot about RPPR this, uh, this session. That's alright. Uh, well, they do cover a lot of ground when it comes to RPGs. They do. They had a book that had time trap that was time travel based for a system, hmm. and it was so complicated. They all were just like, "I'm not doing it." So like Ross wouldn't do it. He passed it up to Caleb. Caleb was like, oh, I, "No, I'm not doing this." <laughs> and then uh, Aaron, who is their local Doctor Who fan and time travel buff and everything, he was like, oh, "I'll take a look at it." I guess he tapped out too. Oh man. That's a that's a rule book. <laughs> Seriously, I've got to remember what that's called so I can have a look at it at least. Yeah. But if it's that serious, I don't think I... I mean, these guys that run Eclipse Fates, mm. so... So it's obviously they're not lightweights. <laughs> they're not lightweights at all. Mm. Yeah. They ran 4th edition for like two years. Maybe even longer. They had a huge campaign. Uh, and no campaign was bigger than ours. Oh, Dark Sun. Oh, I started reading uh, the next Dark Sun novel in the Pentad. Oh. The second one. Yeah. Like, yeah, Dark Sun. Ah, uh, yeah. All the feels. All of the feels, indeed. Indeed. Well, indeed. <laughs> I think that uh, I think that little, uh, that little taste of nostalgia probably will send us <laughs> off pretty nicely. <laughs> Um, once again, this was episode 24, Railroading. Yeah! Thanks for listening. My name is David Shin. And I'm Susan Stewart. We'll uh, see you guys in another couple of weeks. just as a reminder to our listeners, we here at Unabashed Gaming love to hear from you. Head over to www.unabashedgaming.blogspot.com and leave us a comment. Or call our Lake Geneva, Wisconsin voicemail number 262-729-9774. We also have a SpeakPipe link on our blog page. You can leave us a message directly through your computer's microphone or headset. Comments, questions, topic ideas, whatever you want to share with us, all is welcome. We hope to hear from you soon. Thanks.